0: This is episode 95 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore Events Podcast. We're continuing Women's Camp 2010, the transforming freedom of forgiveness. This is a breakout session from Sherry Sperling on forgiveness. Ladies, we're going to, I'm going to introduce Sherry. She's my, well, she's my friend and, uh, she's going to Journey Church. She's a count. She does counseling, um, She's been married 39 years to the same man. Is that not wonderful? And I love her. So here she is, Sherry Sperling. Thanks, I love you too. (laughs) Ah. Hi, gals. I am going to open in a word of prayer. Abba, we thank you for this time. We're so grateful. We commit it to you. It's your spirit, your word, your love, your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness that teaches us. We love you, and we commit this time to you. In Jesus' holy and awesome name, amen. Amen. On the front of your outline, there's a little quote at the top that a friend of mine gave me a few days ago, and it's just really, really powerful. I have no clue who the author is, so if one of you said it, feel free to raise your hand, and and we'll give you the credit. While I am in chains, my enemy is out dancing. And don't we know that? Bitterness and unforgiveness binds us. We tend to think that when we forgive somebody, we're letting them off the hook, and they're getting away scot-free with whatever it was that they did to us. Forgiveness sets us free, and and that's the key, and that's the clue. Luke 6, 31 to 38. 37 is our key verse for this weekend, but as we read before and after, it's a powerful passage. Jesus says, do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. And I remember hearing a a speaker one time talking about when you're having a tough time with your husband and... It's no matter what you do and how hard you try, it's really tough to forgive. Well, if nothing else, we have this scripture, love your enemies, and that can, that can cover a lot of ground for you. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will be truly acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. We tend to put this in the realm of finances or giving things to people, but the context is in in forgiveness. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount that you get back. Um, I believe it's in Mark 12. Jesus says, whatever you give to me, whatever you give up for me, I'm going to give you back. And I've found through my life that when I give Jesus even that much, even that much, even saying, Lord, I'm willing to be willing. When that's all I could do, was be willing to be willing. When I gave him that much, he says I'll give you back a hundredfold. Well, a hundred times that is, however much, and you give that to him then, and he gives you back a hundred times that. You can't outgive him. You. go, Kath. I believe it's chapter 12, 40-ish somewhere in there. Luke chapter 12. No, I'm sorry, Mark. It's in several of the Gospels, but I think it's Mark. Oh, when I was reading, sorry. Luke 6:31 to 38. Praise God. Thank you, gals. Okay. So, let's get back into this. The amount we give will determine how much we get back. The amount of grace that we're willing to extend determines how much grace that we get back. And one way to analyze how much we should give is to look at Jesus Christ and decide how much has he forgiven me in my life. In any teaching or illustration or talk, there can be hyperbole, there can be statements, and it sounds in the context like you're saying this is this and no sidelines, no caveats, et cetera. There are. And so as I talk about submission, as I talk about forgiveness, as I talk about humility and brokenness and all that, understand that there are ca- caveats there too, that forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean you go home to your drunken abusive husband and let him beat the pulp out of you so please please understand that there's there's kind of a central area here where we're talking forgiveness is always vital because Jesus Christ forgave even the the, even the worst of us Jesus Christ forgave me so forgiveness isn't the question there are boundaries so don't just assume that that means you go back into it okay so promise me that Tonight at the fireside chat we'll be talking about some of that and I believe we'll have time at the end of this for some questions and answers or some comments so if you have if, if you think of something like that please feel free to li- write it down and we'll talk about it later do you know i'm I'm leading one of them and I still don't have a clue <laughs> so <laughs> we'll find out wendy's going to Do we know where it's at, though? will talk about it tonight at the, at the, at the session. OK, so when you find out and you go there, please make sure I'm tagging along, OK? <laughs> I tend to not be really good at that. So make sure that I'm with you when you go there. Junction City, Oregon. You maybe don't know where Junction City, Oregon is. It's about 40-ish miles south of us. And Junction City is the Junction City. Where Highway 99W and Highway 99E meet. There's a junction at Junction City and they come together. A junction is a crossroads, it's an intersection. On our journey through life, there are many, many junctions that we're going to go through. Life is a process, it's a journey. Whether you're building a relationship, whether you're building a ministry, whether you're baking a cake or planning a vacation, whatever it is you're doing, Life is a journey, and there is a very, very specific process that we're going to go through in every phase of our life. There are many, many junctions in life. If you are here today and you're happily married, chances are it didn't just happen. It didn't just 30 years later, we're married and happy and doing great. It took a lot of work, took a lot of grace, took a lot of forgiveness. If you're in a rough situation in your life, a rough situation in a relationship with somebody, chances are pretty high that you or that other person didn't wake up on Tuesday morning and say, I am going to go get them. Sorry, I've got long earrings on. I didn't, I'm going to go get them. I'm going to make their life miserable today. Chances are pretty strong that none of you did exactly that thing, and yet it happens. In Luke 22, 26 to 30, Jesus says, but among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course. But not here, for I am among you as one who serves. This is Jesus Christ talking, the king of the universe. You've stayed with me in my time of trial, and just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant to you the right to eat and drink at my table in the kingdom. And you will sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And then he shifts course. Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded permission to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail you. And when you return, strengthen your brothers. Jesus was warning Peter in advance that there was going to be a process in the development of his faith and in his ministry to Jesus Christ. And he was telling Peter ahead of time that he was going to be forgiven that Jesus Christ would forgive him. Not only would he forgive him, but Jesus had already gone past that and had already prepared work for Peter to do. And he's saying, get over it. Just get over it. When you come back, get over it. Move on. Do what I've called you to do. Excuse me, I'm going to take off my earring because I keep clanging it. If you think way back, way, way back to Abraham, God called Abraham when he was in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. And he said, come on, I'm taking you someplace. And yet it was years and years and years before it was fulfilled. And even after God said, I'm going to give you a baby, it was years and years and years and years before that was fulfilled. And Abraham and Sarah went through a lot of trials in the meantime. They went through a lot of processes of developing their character. It was the promised land. God had a plan. He already intended to take them there. And Abraham still had to walk through making it happen. Every decision that you make, every junction in our journey is going to determine where we end up. Every junction. You can go along the road. You see that little map on the back of on the back of your handout. All these little junctions, they can waylay you and sidetrack you. <clears throat> Excuse me, when I was 13, my parents divorced and my mom and younger brother and I moved to California from Washington. Do you know in the Santa Clara Valley they call the hills mountains? I told them quite regularly, those are not mountains. Those are hills. When you grow up in the shadows of Mount Rainier, the Santa Clara Valley mountains are not mountains. Anyway, we moved around several times. When I was 15, we moved to yet another complex, uh, apartment complex. While I was there, I met Adrian. Adrian was a single mother of three, and I became her babysitter, and we became good friends. She dated a much younger guy from the place where she worked, and I babysat the kids one night when she went out with him. Well, he was interested in me, so with her permission, we started dating. And um, on my second date with Mike, we went for a drive up in the hills in the Santa Clara Valley, and we stopped by a friend's house, a, a friend of his, and he introduced me to his friend Neil. About a year and a half later, after Mike and I had broken up, Neil called me up and asked me out. He has been my best friend ever since, my very, very best friend, and last April we celebrated 39 years of marriage. There was was a process, a junction, a journey. We moved, we moved, we met people. There was a process in that whole journey. One decision builds on another, one junction in your journey can dramatically affect the rest of your life. And that even comes down to decisions about what I do with what's going on in my heart. No matter what your original plan is, it can waylay you. For the year and a half that I dated Mike, I assumed, I planned that when I graduated from high school, I was going to, we were going to get married, I was going to move to Fresno and we'd live happily ever after. Well, praise God, In the summer of my seventeenth year, he and I broke up, and Neil and I became best friends, and I just knew that we were going to live very, very happily ever after. What I didn't know was that the excursions down memory lane potholed with the issues of severe and traumatic child abuse, coupled with the flaggers of the evil one to cause me to take detours would bring incredible blocks and detours and sharp crags and jagged cliffs and raging floods into our life, into our journey. Marriage is joined together, joined at the hip, one flesh. That means where I go, he goes. Where he goes, I go. We're together. Pain you, you don't, you know, if you, if you smash your left hand, your whole body's gonna hurt. And when you're one flesh, if you're hurting, the other one's hurting with you. Unfortunately, through the years, I caused a lot of pain because of the pain that was deep in me, and the, the grace of God allowed my husband to extend incredible forgiveness. Many journeys, many times in our marriage, we had to, we were tempted, or I started down one of those journeys and one of those junctions, one of those detours, and came back. And similarly, I had to choose to forgive him for petty little things like leaving his underwear on the floor or something like that. But anyway, (laughs) AAA roadmaps. Have any of you used them when you've planned a journey? They're amazing. A few years ago, we went to Minnesota, and we had a plan. We wanted to see the Grand Tetons, Yellowstone, Little Bighorn, Devil's Tower, the Badlands, Mount Rushmore. So my husband went to AAA and asked them to plan out our trip, and it is just incredible. They give you this really cool little spiral thing with pages that have laminated maps on them, and it lays out the whole journey. It was great. But you know what made it work? We followed the map. We followed the map. We did what it says. We spent our first night in Spokane with my husband's nephew. Now, when we got up and left Spokane, if we had headed north or south, Spokane is in eastern Washington. If we had headed north or south or west, we would never have made it. We would not have gotten there. Now, at any point, just like in all the other decisions in our life, we can usually turn around. But always keep in mind, it's never never enough to stop. It's never enough to just stop. If we had headed west, it would not have done us a bit of good to just stop. We have to turn around. Don't ever be afraid to turn around and go back and and retrace and make it right again. We know that in life whatever we're doing we have to make very 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 deliberate choices and it may be to turn around it may be to exercise forgiveness it may be to make a change be deliberate and make those choices in los angeles you've all heard stories about road rage those stupid idiotic times when somebody shoots somebody for cutting them off and or gets in a fight or even here you know we're seeing it more and more and more and we think what is up with that? What? I mean, we're just bewildered. It's like, it's a road. It's no big deal. And yet, how often have we hurt others, the ones that we love the most? And how often in life are we hurt, damaged? How many of us, as children, were, were incredibly damaged by somebody's road rage, somebody's unresponsib- irresponsible behavior? Hebrews 12 talks about a bitter root. It frequently, that that bitter root, the pain that happens, the rage, the hurt, the abandonment, can be the result. The emotions that result from that result in what Scripture calls a bitter root. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Bitterness is often, usually, the result of unforgiveness in our heart for what what has happened to us in the past. That bitterness bridge is full of rotted planks. It's full of uncertain footing. It's full of brittle, rotting um, foundations that make your footing insecure and it will undermine any healthy relationship in your life. Ephesians 4, 25 to 27, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. And I'm going to tell you, and, and you know this, that if we're only covering, if we're only covering bitterness or rage or anger or hurt, it's a falsehood. Because it's still there. And it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of energy to keep it covered up. Put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. The word of God is not saying that it's a sin to be angry. If somebody abused you, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be angry. You saw the videos this morning about these these children and and women dragged into prostitution. It's okay to be angry about that. But in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. And that devil's foothold is a treacherous, treacherous detour in life that we do not want to go down. Whether it's venting an emotion or listening to bad doctrine, 2 Peter 2.19, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. It may be anger, it may be bitterness, it may be rage, it may be unforgiveness. We are a slave to that if it controls us. And again, I don't care how well you manage to cover it up. If you are having to continually keep the lid on that pressure cooker of the stuff that's going on inside of you, You are a slave to it because you're not free to lift your hands in praise. You're not free to hug and love. You're not free because you're having to keep the lid on. The rage, the bitterness, the resentment, the emotions that control us, again, they are the result of unforgiveness. These are the emotions that take us down those highways and those byways away from joy. It may be cancer and we're mad at God. It may be disrespect from people at work or your family. It may be divorce. It may be a drunk that kills a loved one. It may be abandonment or betrayal or rebellious kids or even somebody rude at church. The rude ridge is covered with sharp rocks and loose gravel. And again, you cannot have a sure footing when you're taking that detour. Some or all of these things are going to happen in our life. We will have people be rude to us. We will be betrayed at some point. We will be hurt at some point. And the direction that you take at that point is totally up to you. What you do with it at that point is your decision and your choice. Just remember that we have been given a clear roadmap, even better than AAA roadmaps. We have the word of God, and it will direct our paths. Galatians 5.1 it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not, be, do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Oregon in the summertime. I don't know that you can go anywhere more than a few miles away and not run into road repairs. That's when we have to do it. It's in the summertime. And they have to be done and redone and done and redone constantly. Forgiveness oftentimes has to be redone. Forgiveness is not one of those, beam me up, Scotty, things that will take you out of a Klingon battle onto the starship bliss in just a moment. I'm kind of an original Trekkie fan, and when I think about this, I think about those, those segments when Scotty or Bones or Spock were being transported and something went wrong with the transporter and their molecules are just kind of spread out all over the place. Unforgiveness can do that to our emotions, and our emotions can feel so out of control when rage or bitterness just just absolutely causes us to to go nutsos. You may have a loved one who's taken a wrong turn down pornography paths. While forgiveness is a choice that you have to make in a moment of time, The journey through forgiveness, that whole process of going from the choice to speak it to the joy that results and the peace that results can be a very, very long journey, especially if it's a a serious offense, if it's an issue of abuse, if it's an issue of betrayal or abandonment, pornography, something like that. It requires a very deliberate and intentional perseverance to stick through with it and do it over and over again. Isaiah 7, 9b says, If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And then James 1, 2-4, Consider it pure joy, my brethren, whenever you face trials of many kind because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And, you know, perseverance isn't always just, um, excuse me, perseverance isn't always, oh, the journey to stay calm and nice when you've got a lot of company, or work through the building of your house and not get too grumpy or yell at your husband too many times. That's not only perseverance. It requires perseverance to overcome the struggle to forgive, the struggle to work with somebody that's difficult. It requires perseverance to put up with persecution. It's all of these things in life that can be difficult for us. We do that, the thing that aids in that process, we do that through submission to the Spirit of God. James 4, 7 to 10, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Keep in mind, by the way, that the devil is always ready to slap you, always ready to sidetrack you, always ready to interfere, to speak thoughts. And and please don't ever lose sight of the fact that we do have to resist the devil. It's a very real part of our journey. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. And Keep in mind, again, grief, mourning, is not wrong. If you are sorrowful about something that's happened, if you are sorrowful about someone's sin against you, you're not wrong. Don't try to hide it, don't try to cover it up. Um, I have a friend who always says, it's all good, it's all good. It's like, baloney, it's not all good. This hurts, I have to work through this. It's okay to grieve, it's okay to grieve. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. That's your job. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he, his job, he will lift you up. He will lift you up. You can't just keep a bright smile on where you're holding the lid down on all of that stuff that's inside. It's it's a process. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Some offenses, as I said, are relatively easy to forgive. Someone made you late getting here yesterday or today. Somebody cut you off on the freeway. Somebody took cuts like I did at lunchtime. Um, A friend ignores you in the cabin. Other things that deeply wound us, other things that hurt us to the very core, childhood sexual abuse, neglect, that tragic death of a loved one, betrayal of a spouse, they can be a lot more difficult to forgive and it is absolutely vital, again, to recognize that if there is unforgiveness in your heart, the joy of the Lord is only a vague hope. It is so important to deal with what's going inside, on inside. And, you know, if the abuse is ongoing, if pain plagues you constantly and you can't quite figure out what's going on, it's okay to repeat the choice to forgive, You're not failing if you have to choose it over and over and over again. Again, it's not just a one-time beam me up, Scotty, and it's done. You may have to redo it. It's okay, just like the road repairs. They have to be redone over and over and over again. You're not failing if you have to choose it again. The thing to remember, I love this because it is is my life verse because I tend to be a little bit of a I'll-do-it-myself-thank-you type person, even with God, you can choose even when your emotions are arguing with you, even when everything in you is just like, ah, you can choose with your will to do what your emotions are arguing with you about. Romans 6:16 says that you can be a slave to sin, which is the junction to death. Or you can be a slave to righteousness which is your junction, I'm sorry, a slave to obedience, which is your junction to righteousness. And you know, if you have children, how many of you know that when you tell your child to do something and they look at you like and you have a standoff with your eyes and pretty soon you see them turn and go do what you told them to do, you're not going to follow and and whoop them because they didn't say, oh, I'd love to do that. You were proud of them because they made the choice to do what you told them to do. How much more gracious is our God? This verse says it. You can be a slave to sin, the junction to death, or you can be a slave, and we're not, you know, slave is not a necessarily good connotation. You can be a slave to obedience, and the result is righteousness. That's the junction on on your journey to joy. Repairs that last in our roads, they're never going to happen on our roads in Oregon, but they can happen in our lives. If you have unforgiveness in any of your bags that you're toting around on your life journey, start unpacking. Joseph, the son of Isaac, Israel, the son of Israel, uh, Jacob, went through some pretty horrendous things. We read it on a white page with black writing, the story of what happened, that his brother sold him into slavery and and Pharaoh bruised his neck and his feet with the fetters and all that kind of stuff, but you don't really get the full impact of it. Think a little bit more, how many of you are affected by the stories that we hear now about human trafficking? A little five-year-old girls sold into sexual slavery and that's horrendous. Well, that's what happened to Joseph. He was abandoned. He was betrayed. He was sold into slavery. And then he kind of got out of it and did better in Potiphar's house. And then this woman blackmailed him for Pete's sake. I mean, she accused him. He was being a good guy. He did nothing wrong. And he was thrown back into prison. And their prisons, they didn't have big screen TVs and AC and food lines. Their prisons were disgusting. And he suffered. And then he helped somebody out, and he says, when you get out, remember me. And they didn't. This was a process. As a young man, God had told Joseph what was going to happen, that he would end up being a leader. So what is up with all of this? During this whole time, during this whole process, Joseph is learning something about forgiveness. Joseph is learning something about the sovereignty of God, and Joseph is having his character developed to prepare him to eventually be one of the world's great leaders. It was a process, but he had to go through some pain to get there. When I was a child, my dad was king. I mean, for most kids, dad rules or any person who is your authority in your home, when you're a a wee little child, that adult or that older brother in your house kind of has sway over you and you don't always have a lot of choice. He was like the big thing. And my father terribly, terribly abused that trust. And in my home, my, my seven siblings and I were the victims of incredible, perverse, horrible, horrible abuse beyond... Um, beyond what you can imagine, really. Dad was in control. He was, he was strong, he was big, I was a little girl. Even my brothers as teenagers couldn't, couldn't fight back. And that's what, what you grow up with. When my father, after he retired, uh, one, he had diabetes, he had Parkinson's disease, and then he had a stroke. The last time I saw my dad alive, he had come down with his nursemaid who had to take care of him because he would defecate in his pants and could not take care of himself. He was sitting in a chair in my front yard, and he was shaking like this, and he was drooling, and he couldn't talk, and when I was going through inner healing, meeting Jesus face to face to heal the damage that my father had caused on the inside, and I had to make that choice to forgive. I saw my father, the reality of his state, because that vision of him sitting in my front yard, a decrepit, weak, helpless man, and I saw that man face the king of glory and have to give account for his sins. And I, I pray with my whole heart, with everything in me, I pray that before my dad died, he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. I don't care how bad, I don't care how rotten, I don't care how evil, eternity in hell, separated from God, is a horrible, horrible price to pay. Jesus Christ died for my sins. Jesus Christ died for my father's sins. I have no right to hold those things against him because Jesus forgave me. If you have pain in your heart, it's not easy to forgive, but it is a command that you can obey with your will, and as you continue to choose to do that with your will, Jesus will lead you into that path of joy and peace that he so powerfully promises for us the the awesome wonderful magnificent thing about God forgiveness is that that highway clover leaf I don't know we don't we have some of them here california has a lot of them that wonderful clover leaf that allows you to change direction and forgiveness is that clover leaf that, no matter where you're at on your journey in life, you can set that hummer down, and you can take it, and you can forgive, and you can change directions on your journey. And and again, the peace of Christ enables you to do that. So, I'm not sure how much time we have left. Wendy, are you keeping? Pardon? How about that? Usually, I'm like way long-winded. Questions, comments. If anybody has things that they would like to to ask, or I do not know. Actually, I forgot. It wasn't the very last time I saw him. He um, uh, the last my last time I saw him was right after that he got super sick again and I went to the nursing home and they were wheeling him in and I I said to him daddy Jesus loves you and he kind of looked away and he just kind of muttered I know I I don't know if he did or not I hope so I I truly truly hope so Right, right. That's a great question. Be wonders if the people, my, my loved ones, my husband, my children, were able to forgive my father. My father died when I was 23, and so my children didn't know him. However, I, I would say yes, they, they had to. My mother, who was also very involved in the abuse, my mom was the victim of horrendous abuse as a child, and I believe that it dramatically affected her life and some of the decisions that she made. My children adored my mother and had a very, very good relationship with her. So when I, be, I had repressed memories, so when I went through remembering the abuse, it was, it was a tough time, a few years of, of tough. I took her picture off my wall, I had to just totally put it away. And it was tough because I knew my kids loved my mother, and I knew she genuinely loved them. And I didn't want to ruin that. At the same time, it seemed it was just a confusing time. It seemed hypocritical to, okay, this is a woman that we're honoring, and yet she did this. That's part of the forgiveness process, part of figuring that out. And I don't know if they necessarily had to go through a forgiveness, but they had to work it out. And I think because I've gone through healing, because I can say I have forgiven, because I've been able to heal and come to grace, it has allowed them, through seeing my healing, to grab hold and embrace the beautiful things that my mother was. So in effect, yes. Yeah. Yes. And again, my mother died before I remembered the abuse. I went through 7 years of healing for repressed memories for it was it was everything from sexual perversion, satanic ritual abuse. It was a long healing process. And yes, God God gave me restored to me my memory Most of my my memories with my mother were good, so it was tough remembering those things that weren't, and yes, through a process, again, through a long process, God restored to me a passion and a compassion for my mother, and in the same way, I can receive those things that were good and be very, very grateful for them. Sorrow, certainly, because it, you know, wasn't what it could and should have been, but I I can remember and hold on to the things that were good, and I'm very grateful for that. So those are good questions, B. Anybody else? Oh. My mother grew up on a farm in Minnesota. My grandfather was exceedingly abusive. My grandmother, and I never knew them, they died years before I was born. From what I understand, my grandmother was kind of a severe cold woman, which is to be expected, living with a heavy-duty abuser on a farm in Minnesota in 1920s. And I never knew about her, what she was like. But apparently they went to church, and I, I had heard about that. They went to a Baptist church in Border, Minnesota, and I knew that they knew about Jesus. That's all I knew. And one day in the late 80s, I was helping my mom and stepdad move up from California to, to uh, Washington. And on the trip... That God gave us this really special time, and I remember asking my mom. You didn't talk about the Lord to my mother, because to her, she was so burdened down with unforgiveness, with shame and guilt. To her, to speak like you had a relationship with Jesus was the most. Uh, what's the word I want? Presumptuous. She would be more like this. You know, she could not even. She could not say that Jesus loved her. She couldn't because it was too presumptuous. She had a lot of. Pain, a lot of stuff that she had to continually keep down. Anyway, on that trip, I said, Mom, do you know Jesus as your Savior? And I'll never forget, I can still hear, Oh, yes, we've always believed that. And after she died and I was seeking the comfort of knowing where my mother was, it just came back on me like a flood. Oh, yes, we've always believed that. So I believe that my mother is in heaven. And after the fact, when I cleaned out my mother's stuff, I fe- you know when we were in, in, maybe some of you younger gals don't, but when I was in grade school, we had that kind of um, crude paper that we wrote on in the first grade, that brownish colored paper. Found a letter from my grandmother written back in the late 40s to someone, I'm not even sure, it's her daughters, some of, the, some of the girls. And are you laughing about the old time paper or just telling secrets? Um, Anyway, I found a letter from my grandmother to the girls, and she's talking about Jesus, and it was very, very evident from that letter that she knew Jesus as her Savior. So I'm way excited when I get to heaven to meet my grandmother. That'll be a lot of fun. She was very proud of her in some ways. I mean, a lot of mistakes, but she homesteaded in Minnesota back in, well, my mom was born in 1918, so uh, back in the... You know, like 10, 1908, 1910, sometime in there. She homesteaded in Minnesota. So that takes a lot of gumption to do that. So, Other questions? Comments? I'll be around. There will be a fireside chat tonight with some really good questions if you love getting into the conversations and talking about it. There will be a good fireside chat tonight, and I'm here as well as the the team. So if I may pray for you, Um, Lord Jesus, you know the heart, you know the life, you know the journey of every woman in this room. And I'm asking you that in your mercy and grace you would speak to every heart, whether it's a wounded heart in this room or the wounded heart of someone they know. We ask that your spirit, your mercy, your grace, your love would draw them, that you would put down your junction that would take them down that journey to healing and forgiveness. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We exalt you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I I want to say one, one last thing, by the way. If you have been wounded in your life, if you have been wounded, the Spirit of God brings healing to your soul. And I'm not talking about learning to cope the way Psychobabble helps us or talks about. I'm talking about the healing of your soul. The Spirit of God can meet with you. Do I still have a couple minutes, Wendy? I'm going to, if you don't mind, I want to tell you just one brief thing I mentioned already. That, I don't know, I just sense that... I do? And I'm going to remember it one of these days. I I think it's in Isaiah 60. I I mentioned that I had a lot of healing, perverse abuse. As I went through healing for repressed memories, there was something I saw of this little girl in a heap on a floor. And it was so painful, I couldn't go there. And all I can say to you, it's hard to explain, the contempt that was in me for that... It was contempt. It's like that person is not even worthy of contempt. I don't even know how to explain it. Not even worthy of contempt. And I backed off emotionally from remembering that. And it was a period of months uh, before I could even think about it, and I never really did again. And then I just knew that there was a, a memory attached to that, to this child in a heap on the floor, about three years old. And what I eventually remembered was that it was just one of those times when my father had, had raped me as a very little girl, and I was laying in a heap on, on the floor in his bedroom. I was sitting at my computer one day during this period reading the Word of God, and I was had been reading in Isaiah, which God always used to speak to my spirit. And I came to this passage and Isaiah, I think it's about 60. I can find it for you. Where G- The Spirit of God, I read through it and it said, you will no longer be called forsaken, but you will be called Hepzibah and Beulah. And I don't remember the exact things that they're called, but my beloved, you will be called my beloved. And I read that and all of a sudden stopped like, whew, and I went back and read it again. And it was though the Spirit of God spoke into that little child on the floor and raised her up and said, you are not abandoned, you are not dumped, you are not forsaken, you are mine, and married her to himself. The Spirit of God will heal your damaged emotions. He will take away the shame that's there and give you back his joy. Don't let unforgiveness or shame or guilt keep you from him because he loves you. He suffered your guilt and your shame at the cross so that you don't have to stay away from him. Be blessed.